0: Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be this morning. Do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? That is what Steve Jobs said in 1983 to Pepsi executive John Scully to lure him to Apple. And if you got that job offer, you would take it too. Do you just want to exist for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Serious question. Serious question. And where am I going? I'm going to the scriptures, my friends. Hearing that proposition, what we see here in the book of Acts is an accusation made by the opponents of the apostles that what they're engaged in has set the world upside down. Does it sound like something that you're currently engaged in? Does it sound like something that you are a part of? No? Okay. Does it sound like something you want to be a part of? So let me tell you some three things. They start with P, just for you. Three things that do not change the world. Do not turn that bad boy upside down. Number one. Programs. Programs do not turn the world upside down. They don't. Now, this list of three that I give you before we walk to the Scriptures, I'm not saying there's no place for these things. I'm not saying these things aren't helpful. I'm saying that they do not turn the world upside down. Programs do not do it. Initiatives, campaigns, don't turn the world upside down. They don't. Number two, personalities. Cleverness. Charisma, connection, those three things, they don't turn the world upside down either. And thirdly, politics. Politics do not turn the world upside down. Not at all. They don't do it. Programs, personalities, and politics, they do not turn the world upside down. Though they have their place and we participate in these three Ps, they do not do wh- what we need. And, and don't we sense, we have a sense of that the world is not right. The world is not the way it should be. Something should be done about it. And this is what we try to do about it, right? We try to have programs that are structured campaigns, initiatives to do certain things. And we try to have our personalities platformed in which the charismatic and the best speakers and the funniest and the cleverest, we put them up front and we say, do something. And they don't. And maybe if we vote the right way and get the right man or woman in, Maybe they will make the world right. But I don't know if you've lived long enough. You probably have. If you're an old man like me, you realize, you realize that presidents come and go, and they're buried, and the world is very little affected by it. It remains the same amount of wrong as it was before. Maybe that wrongness shifts to something else. But here in Acts 17, verses 1 through 15, we see this main point, that the speaking and the receiving of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures changes the world, my friends. And nothing less than this very thing is going to affect anything in the world. Everything else is a temporary Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And this is the surgery, my friends, that the world needs. The speaking and the receiving of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures changes the world. This is a two-part uh, look at Acts 17, 1 through 16. This week, uh, we look at the speaking of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures, the handling thereof. their In of those things. And the next week of the reception of the scriptures. And I don't know if you see the outline in your bulletin. I said initiatives and campaigns and corniness is not going to turn the world upside down. But here's how we turn the world right side up. Look down at those letters right there. Repping Christ. Let spell repping with a double P, okay? We're going to rep Christ from the scriptures in these verses. So pardon the corniness while it's there. Get those little yellow things and stick it on the end of that corn. Need it up. But we're going to rep Christ from the scriptures this morning. So what's happening here in Acts chapter 17? Well, Paul passed through two large cities, in verse 1, on his way to Thessalonica, and this is what Luke describes in verse 2, that he did. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So since Christ from the Scriptures changes the world, we should reason in verse 2. That's the R of our repping. So the first thing Paul did was not some kind of formal thing, but he had a conversation from the Scriptures. This is where we get our English word, dialogue. Some of us are very good at dialoguing, and some of us are not very good at dialoguing. Paul had a dialogue here with them about the Old Testament. That's the Scriptures that he's referring to at this point. It's an important point for us monologuers out there. How do you know if you're a monologuer? It's a really important question. How do you know if you're the one that, that just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and other people are just, oh, they're such a good listener? They have to be because they're around you. You know what I mean? Like, how do you know if that's the situation? How do you know? How do you know if you're one of those people that if you catch somebody in Walmart, they're like, oh, no, do I have the 30 minutes available to listen to this person, right? Because we all know uh, that other people do that to us. I mean, if we're talkers ourselves, we go, oh, they're such a monologuer. All they do is talk, 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 talk. And you know, here's how we, let me just give you one diagnostic question, at least, to know if you're a monologuer. Do you know things about other people? Or do they know everything about you and you don't know anything about them because you don't ask any questions and give them an opportunity to talk back. Think about that a minute. and Maybe you're the person trapping somebody in loads. Maybe. Now, I say that in this monologue. <laughs> in this monologue, I say that because... That is not going to be effective for gospel evangelism. A monologue is not going to do it. It's not. You unloading on somebody and them hoping that you stop, and then going on with their day is not what's happening here. Now, Paul proclaims, he gets to preaching. He gets to preaching in a minute. But what's happening here in verse 2 is a dialogue in which that he reasons, has conversations with them from the Scriptures. They talk back to him and he responds from the Scriptures. Like there there is place for monologue, right? The, The gathering of God's people. The preaching of the Scriptures. There is a place for that. Lowe's, Walmart, Kroger, not the best place for that. Your lunch break room, not the best place for that. Reasoning from the Scriptures is what he does. He was effective in ministry here because how did he handle the Scriptures? He reasoned from them. So he's having a conversation with people in which the other person feels free to ask questions. So us monologuers need to look at ourselves for a minute in the mirror, myself included. I mean, why do you think i I do this for a living? You know, like I I meet, pot, meat, kettle. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we're both black, you know. But there there has this is a challenge for us. That that we should reason from the scriptures on this mission of Jesus. We should reason. 1 Peter 3.15 says we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. you, We quote that for apologetics and defense of the faith. But do you realize what's happening there in 1 Peter 3.15 is a conversation between two people in which the other person talks. And you give them a reason for the hope that you have within you. In a normal conversation. So that is what we should do. We're going to talk to people about the Scriptures. And, but what if they ask me questions? They should. It's normal human communication. What if they talk back? It's normal human, human communication. Welcome to earth, third rock from the sun. That's what happens here. And what if we, we don't know? What if we don't know the answers? What if they ask me about the end times? Or did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Or where Cain got his wife? Or where Cain's wife got her belly button? Like, it, you don't have to know everything, right? We're, the, those questions sharpen us and cause us to read our scriptures, to know our scriptures. I walked into Sunday school class this morning. You should know your scriptures. You should know your scriptures. However, I'm not saying you have to know everything. In fact, if you look at John 4 and the woman at the well, she's, she's saying, hey, should we worship here on this mountain or in Mount Gerizim? you really think that's what she was wanting to know about? Or do you think that he made her uncomfortable and she tried to distract him? She made him. He made her uncomfortable about the seriousness of the living water there in John 14. So she tried to change the subject from her deepest need. And guess what? That's what's going to happen to us. We're going to talk to people. They're going to try to distract you from their deepest need. Do not let them distract you. Go to the deepest need that they have and the thing that needs changing in their life and in the world. And the answer is the speaking of Christ. From the Scriptures. Don't get distracted. Stay on point. Yes, answer their questions to the best of their ability. Be a normal, communicating human being. If you're not normally, try to be one. Just pretend for a minute. Reason from the Scriptures. Not only that, we should explain from the Scriptures. Come with me in verse, to verse 3. talks about Paul explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul reasoned and explained. This means to open completely what has been concealed previously. That's what that means. It's the same word Luke uses for what happened to Lydia's heart. It got opened up. So we are reasoning back and forth, having communication with people from the Scriptures, and we're also opening those bad boys up for them to understand it. It is perfectly okay. It's not normal, but it's perfectly okay for you to have a conversation with the Bible open. It's not normal in how the societal regards should be normal for us, right, as Christians, to have our Bibles open when we talk about things. That is what we do. uh, We explain, and the synonym in English that we use is expound the Scriptures. That's what I'm doing here in this Monologue is expounding the Scriptures, taking what's in there and giving it to you. So that's what you do in your everyday life, in your conversations with other people, when you're talking to them and they're talking back. You're grabbing things from the Scriptures and you're giving it to the person. That's what you're doing. We have to be so committed to the expositing, the expounding, the opening up of the Scriptures, that we do it in talking to people, sharing the gospel with people. We do so in a discourse, right? And we do so opening up the Scriptures for them. We have to double down and be committed To this, if you notice, the front of your bulletin, Farmdale Baptist Church is committed to the expositing of the Scriptures. Hopefully, so much so that if me or an angel from heaven or an angel from hell or somewhere else, or anyone else, comes up and does not expound the Scriptures that there would be a protest from the church. So much so, right? That's one level of commitment. One level of commitment is us standing up in protest saying, that is not in there. That is not in there. Or just not if... If I dropped dead a minute ago, if Pastor Jonathan and I dropped dead today, God forbid, but if we did, and there was someone else that came up here, and they stood up here, and they did not open the scriptures, did not expose, did not take what's in there and give it out, that the church would protest because we're that committed to it. Never again, never going back to the tossed salad that is in 99% of the pulpits in this country, on this day, at this moment. In so many places right now in this world, people are opening their Bible and making a salad out of it that they then serve to the congregation. I'm saying that's a in that case, salad's a bad thing. Why? Because I'm taking a piece from over here and I'm taking a piece from over there and I think this goes good together. Maybe we should put bacon bits on it. No, 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 no. I am not wise enough or creative enough to do that with precision. But you know what I can do? Butcher the scriptures. What? Oh, I mean butcher in a good way, as in cut you off a piece and hand it out. Sir, this is the filet. This is the ribeye. Nose to tail, my friends, butchering of the Scriptures, cutting them off in slabs and big old honking pieces, and letting you sink your teeth into that meat. That's what he did here. He opened them up. He didn't invent something. He opened them up and handed them out, right? I'm dealing in steak, not salad, in regards to handling of the Scriptures. We should be so committed to that that if someone behind here did not do that, someone would have a problem with it. Now, let's up our commitment to that all the more. And what what would be more committed? Like, we put it on the front of the bulletin. What would be more committal to the exposition of the Scriptures than putting it on the front of the bulletin? Come on. Here's what that would look like. You sharing the gospel with your neighbor and you taking something out of the scripture and handing it to them. Taking this truth out of the scriptures yourself. Learning to get your butcher knife yourself, so to speak, and cutting them off a stake of the scriptures themselves in conversation. That's what upping the ante of being committed to explaining the scriptures is when when the scriptures leave the pulpit and it makes it to the front yard. It makes it to the front porch. It makes it to the dinner table. It makes it to the break room. It makes it to the places that we go. And we take from the scriptures, we open it up and we hand it to them. That's how we should handle them. He didn't turn the world upside down here in the passage because he was more clever than other teachers, because he was funnier than other teachers. In fact, he shows up elsewhere in the scriptures and they're like, wow, we, your letter was really weighty and, and you come and you're a public speaker and you just, you're just kind of lame like in person. Can we just be pen pals? Because your sermons aren't that hot. but he turned the world upside down here because he opened up the scriptures for them and explained it. That's where the power lies, my friends. Not in the creativity of the speaker, not in the creativity of the witnesser. That's not a word. Right? Not in your creativity, your charisma, your personality. It's not going to change the world. Your use of the scriptures. That's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to turn it upside down. Or, in the view of God, it's going to turn it right side up. Not only that, we should reason, explain. Thirdly, we should prove. Prove. Look back in verse 3. Proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So what is he proving from this scripture? He What does that mean? That means when he opened it up, he said something and he pointed to the verse. He opened it up, gave it to him and said, see that there. That is where it says that. Listen to what I'm saying. Look at where you see it. Listen to what I'm saying. Look at where you see it. Do you notice what, what, what proving would mean, right? That you're pointing to an authority that isn't yours. You're pointing to an authority that, that isn't yours. And that's what would, it would look like if we had a conversation with our Bibles open to our friends. And you know, I, I've had conversations with people about controversial doctrines, and they're like, no, I, I, don't, I don't agree with you at all. And then we open the Bible, and I go, do you see this right here? Can you see what I'm saying? Can you see it right here? And the same doctrines that they couldn't believe or understand, they could see. And seeing for them was believing. They see it in the Scriptures. That's what Paul does here. And what was he trying to prove in Thessalonica? Look at it in verse 3 with me saying that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and that Jesus is this Christ. So this is the heart of the gospel. The Jews in this synagogue had a major hang-up with the Messiah, or the Greek equivalent, Christ, the Savior, the one who's coming from God to be anointed as his eternal king in their eyes, that that Christ died and rose again. They had no use for a a dead Savior at that point. So once Paul proved the death of of Christ, interesting, Pastor Jonathan shows Isaiah 53, like it's, there it is. He pointed to the one who died and rose again, and he said, I know a guy. (laughs) Who is this one? And that Jesus is the Christ. He wasn't just beating them in theological arguments here. He was reasoning, explaining, and proving, and it had a point, that Jesus is the Christ. We don't know the the verses that he was specifically using. It doesn't tell us. What we know his overall message is that Jesus who died and rose again is the Christ from the Scriptures. Here's his specific argument, something along the same lines. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This man knew his Bible and knew it was about Jesus. Are we the same way? Do we know our Bibles? Do we know those Bibles are about Jesus? People want us to miss the point. They would rather know about financial freedom or social justice. They would rather know about those things. Now, does the Scripture address those things? Oh, certainly. It certainly does but it won't change the world upside down if they get out of debt. It won't save their soul from death if they volunteer. Only Christ from the scriptures. Since Christ from the scriptures changes the world, we should reason, explain, prove, and proclaim, my friends. That's what you see there in verse three. He proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah meaning he spoke plainly, openly, and loudly. Keep in mind that the last sermon that he had ended in his almost death. And yet, he was beaten and thrown in prison, and this time he he could not miss the point. No one fulfilled Old Testament prophecy to the extent that Jesus did, not even close. The Jews completely missed the one that everything is about. You can look at Isaiah 53 and see that there was one who suffered for our sin and would one day rise. They likely stayed away from that. Most of them did. But Paul called their attention to the one Isaiah wrote about. Charles Spurgeon put the preaching of Christ like this. He said, A sermon without Christ at its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. However grand the language, it will be merely much ado about nothing if Christ be not there. And I mean by Christ, not merely His example and the ethical precepts of His teaching, but His atoning blood, His wondrous satisfaction made for human sin, and the grand doctrine of believe and live. How many of us talk about the Bible, have heard people talk about the Bible, and heard many dead-end, deadbeat sermons? Deadbeat sermons that never reach the storyline's climax, that leave the people wanting, leave them empty, leave them slightly encouraged, mildly entertained, or the same apathetic, nature that they came in with. That is not what this is here in Acts 17. Jesus Christ is the culmination of history and the storyline of the Bible and the culmination of your story when you stand before Him one day. That everything ends in Him. Everything points toward Him. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to them and told them everything written in the law and the prophets about him must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's what he did. In other words, if you can't understand it's about him, you can't understand it. It always happens that the gospel is responded to in two ways. Verse 4 says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, or in a little literal sense of the word, they threw in their lot with them. And verse 5, they were either persuaded to fall in line with them or persuaded to kill them. Notice verses 6 and 7. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, Have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there was another king, Jesus. Do you know why that the preaching of the scriptures turns the world upside down? Because it points away from a false king to a true king that's why it doesn't and i don't know if you've ever heard this story but there was the african wilderness in which the land suffered under a false king specifically he was a lion his name was scar and the lion and the land suffered under that false King after the death of his brother Mufasa. I'll say it again Mufasa. The land suffered because the true king had not yet returned to finally combat the counterfeit king. And in that story, his nephew, Simba, came, grew up, came back, and conquered this counterfeit king. And the land suffered under scar. They rejoiced when the good and true and final king has come to take his rightful place. Talking more Talking about more than Lion King, my friends, I'm talking about the land that we are currently in is suffering under the counterfeit kings of the culture. Looking to personalities, politics, and platforms, and programs to change the world like we think it needs to be changed. But it doesn't, does it? The land continues to suffer the world continues to go wrong and be wrong and hurt and struggle and there's death and sickness and war and rape and murder and everything in between. Heinous crimes being committed. Lifetimes being wasted. The good news is, for us, my friends, is that there is another king than Caesar. And it is Jesus Christ who suffered for our sins, died on the cross, and rose on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And He one day, my friends, is returning as the true and good King over the land. Is that going to be a good day for you? Or is it going to be a sad day for you? Because God is holy and righteous and just. And you are not. You sinned against Him. God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus. He died on the cross and rose on the third day. That's the message of the Gospel. And this King one day is returning and every eye will see Him. And every tongue will Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here we are, char- charged with the message of this other king to rep Christ from the scriptures and turn the world right side up on the way to the return of the King. If you're not a Christian, you need to turn from your sin and trust in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. If you are a Christian, you need to make it your commitment, aim, and life's goal to reason from the Scriptures, to rep Christ from the Scriptures, reason, explain, prove, and proclaim. Does that mean that we should all be preachers? No, my friends, that's not what that means. But should we all give ourselves to this mission of the use of the Word of God in everyday conversation? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the most convicting thing about that, right? We're talking about the speaking of Christ from the Scriptures. The most convicting thing about this for me as I look and survey Acts 17 is we talk about even the quietest among us, even the functional mutes among us, right? Because we we got some of those people and they're normally married to each other. like One is just the monologuer that traps you in Walmart and the other one is the one that just frowns. and makes facial expressions. And the best you're going to get from them is a facial expression. Like Gibbs from NCIS, functional mute. But let me tell you what. The, conviction, the, the convicting thing about this passage for me is that we talk about what our heart loves. Eventually. Eventually, we talk about what we love. We love. Even the functional mutes among us, we, we, they'll, get, they'll become talking about what they love with their heart. Because if you find the right topic, that person will talk. Will talk about things. What they get excited about and what they love. Oh, that we would be people. That love the Word of God enough to talk about it. Oh, that we loved the Lord enough to talk about Him in everyday conversation. When I'm talking about repping Christ from the Scriptures, that happens out there and downstairs and here and in relation with each other. I, I look back at my life in and, and conversations and relationships and and lament how weird it would be for someone to bring up a spiritual conversation in environments that we find ourselves in, right? Even with Christians. Christians don't have spiritual conversations with each other like we should. Why? Why? we don't love the lord like we should so this is a call for us to talk about what our heart loves and to look at our heart and see what it loves and see if it is this other king or are we pledging our allegiance to the caesars of our land thinking that the world's okay like it is no my friends the world needs the lord The Lord does not need the world, the world needs the Lord, and the church needs to stand up and talk about the Lord in everyday normal conversation like we love Him. And here we are, as we look at the scriptures, to call our affections in line with the scriptures. That's what we should do today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. I pray that you would deal with us at a level of our love for you. That we would love you enough to be vocal, change our hearts, have mercy on our souls, Lord. We want to turn the world upside down for your glory, that you may receive glory from the world being the way it should be, and the church being the way she should be. Make us so, God, in Jesus' name, amen.